Hello and welcome back to The Sip. Our guest today is our Vice President of Learning and Development and the famous football coach, Nate Miller. Welcome, Nate. Thank you. It's great to be here. This is called The Sip. We have to honor it by asking what your favorite drink is, maybe your guilty pleasure drink. Mm. My favorite drink is probably like a Mountain Dew Kickstart, the pineapple orange mango. Uh, When I was on the field operations leadership team, I would get those when I was on the road, but in the office, we don't have them in in the cafe. So I made an approximation of it using Diet Mountain Dew and Code Red as a little mixture. Mixologist, biology degree. That's right. And, And so some of the members of that team started taking to calling that mixture the Miller. So Miller light. No, no, no. Just the Miller. Cause it's diet. It's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I yeah. like that. Miller light might suggest something else. That name has been We're going to leave it open to the viewers <laughs> okay. interpretation. Where did you go to school? What, and what did you go to school for? I'm a proud alumnus of uh, the Salt Lake community college and then Utah state university. I got an associate's degree from Salt Lake community college in my general studies while I was figuring my life out. And then I got a bachelor's of sociology with a minor in management. And then I finished at Utah State with a master's degree, master of science in human resource management. I've I've always enjoyed learning and and my studies. And and while I did change directions several times in college, I, I enjoyed everything I learned about, whether it was accounting, geography, uh, writing, um, all the way up to the work that I led me to my career. Can you walk us through kind of an overall overview of your job history? Yeah. So I've, I started working really quite young, um, and drawing a paycheck. I think when I was 11 years old, I was, I was on a paper route. Um, it was like the old school paper routes where you'd roll the papers up, you'd put them in a big, over-the-shoulder bag, I'd get on my bike, and I would ride around neighborhoods, chuck in newspapers. Um, and then uh, I would go door-to-door and collect the fees for those papers um, once a month. And then I got to keep a share of what I collected. Um, and then I, I, I've worked from there. I've done just a wide smattering of jobs. I've worked in food. Uh, I worked at Chick-fil-A. I worked at the old spaghetti factory. I worked at a printing shop cleaning uh, silkscreen presses, a variety of warehouses. Um, I worked at a a place that we made science kits for kids. Um, And I ended up becoming like a shift supervisor there and did all kinds of like mixing of chemicals and digging up geodes and BLM land up in Idaho, just all kinds of fun adventures. I, I started to move uh, towards my career, um, towards the end of my college work and started getting some internships. And those were super formative and led me to my ultimate career path where I am today. Is there a career field different than what you're doing now that you initially thought you would go into other than HR and organization development? Yeah. I, I, um, as I was sharing earlier, my work history, I mean, part of the reason why I shared that is to illustrate that this was not like a life path for me to get to HR. Like this is not something I knew from the beginning I wanted. I was the first graduate of college in my family. And so working in a warehouse, uh, you know, that kind of work was not foreign to me or my family. Uh, By the time I got really into college and, and had a few semesters under my belt, I thought I was going to actually go into education. And 
uh, I wanted to teach high school and I wanted to um, coach high school football. And, um, and so that's what I thought I was going to do. And um, my oldest boy was born and something sort of shifted in me. And I started to think about my responsibilities as a parent. And that made me think differently about some of my career choices. And I started trying to explore paths that allowed me to tap into the experiences of coaching that I drew a lot of value from, but can I get paid better? <laughs> so can you explain what you do at Vivint? My, my job is to really stand up and support the leaders in this organization. At the heart of it, I am a few steps removed from the customers that we support, that we serve. At the end of the day, everything I do is needs to keep a customer from uh, leaving Vivint or it attracts someone to come to Vivint. We don't sell HR. We don't sell learning and development. That's not our product. And I do that indirectly by helping leaders who are the the the, the critical role in serving those customers and attracting those customers because they help coordinate the efforts of 14,000 people. I am responsible for the employee engagement survey. It's an anonymous confidential survey that we do twice a year. We collect information and feedback from employees. And then I work with leaders to help them understand that insight. How do you understand what the, the temperature is like out there with your people? How do we take actions that help enable them to have a good experience in work? How do we help them take care of the customer in a better way? How, how do we help them take better care of the business? I help um, lead a group of people developing training programs uh, that make sure that people know how to do their jobs well. This is everything from your new hire onboarding training um, all the way up to we're standing up a frontline leader training program called Peak Leadership, which is uh, a new program we're launching to help first-time leaders learn how to be an effective leader of people. Is there anything that you wish you would have known early on? I think it's pretty natural when you're starting your career. Um, you, you've come up through a school system where you were guided. Like the people were like, this is the grade, this is the curriculum, these are the classes. And then you get a little bit more freedom in college because you can start to pick things, but still it's pretty structured. I have come to realize that I have to have both hands on my own steering wheel, of my own career uh, steering wheel. I'm in charge of my career. And, and, and I need to go out and make sure that I understand realistically what are the skills I need to have to, to take on bigger opportunities? What are the experiences I need to cultivate in order to be ready for the next opportunity? And what are the relationships I need to go build to be able to make, be aware of those opportunities? And all of that was on me. Like I needed to be responsible for being aware of that. Um, too much of career planning is thinking about the job title or the pay you want and don't chase titles. And, and frankly, outside of being able to pay for your bills and your essentials, chasing a quarter more an hour is not more valuable to you than chasing experiences. You build that foundation 10 years from now, you'll be better off financially than just chasing the next quarter, the next nickel over here, or the slightly more favorable schedule. Like, like there's a, at some level, you've got to take care of your basic necessities. And, and I don't 
begrudge anybody taking care of their family in that way. But if you're trying to build your career, it's about building a foundation of quality experiences, quality skills, and quality relationships that will enable you to really cash in and make um, um, get a big return on those investments 10, 15 years down the road. How do you manage work-life balance? We know you're a family man. Um, you have kids in sports. You are a star in the coaching industry. So how do you, how do you manage that? Like a lot of things, it, it's come from doing it poorly and then trying to fix it. Um, there was a period of time when I had a job in California. I was up at 6, um, on the road by 6.30. Um, I would oftentimes ride into the manufacturing plant with my boss. So I had a daily one-on-one as we carpooled together. We would leave the office around 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night, have a follow-up one-on-one on the way home. Wow. And then I would come home and work for an hour at home trying to tie off a few things. And, and, I, and that was uh, a significant imbalance. And I found myself burning out. Balance is a, t- a terrible term because it suggests a level of equality. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, Oftentimes, we don't get the the same number of hours at work as we do at home, at least not awake. One of the things that I did to try and drive towards work-life harmony was to be present in the place that I am. And then the other thing I've learned is that you have to, like, resilience comes from social connections. A resilience comes from taking care of your your health and um, getting enough sleep and, and, and not trading off, like, trivial distractions Mm -hmm. for more meaningful resilience building experiences like your health, your sleep, um, good quality relationships. It'll sound a little bit like a dad rant here, but like if I could take phones and put them in lock boxes, like the kryptonite, I think we burn a lot of our, um, emotional energy in distractions and in, you know, trivial matters. And it sucks up all this energy from us. And then we, then we find ourselves out of time to sleep and exercise and stuff. So I think those are some areas that um, I've been working really hard on. How does being involved in coaching sports help you maybe in your day job? I actually had a leader here at Vivint tell me in a performance review that I need to make sure that I continue to coach my son because you're a better employee when you're involved in coaching. And that was because Coaching gave me, um, it got me out of the office and home and with the family. And I became a better, well, more well-rounded employee because I was investing in that part of my life. Learning how to teach a 10-year-old the proper technique for how to block or tackle or carry a football, while it's not the same skill, there's a lot of um, transference in the method and the thinking it's hard to rebuild training programs and fix them while you're running them, but that's what we're trying to do. And that's uh, informed a lot by my experiences in coaching. What advice would you give leaders and people in CX when it comes to their own career development? I know you already mentioned having both hands on the steering wheel. Sometimes I feel like leaders, especially early leaders, feel so much accountability for the outputs on those dashboards and those scorecards that they kind of fixate and it's just the outcome and you're pushing in, 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 in all of a sudden your supervision and your management becomes, I need you to get off the phone quicker. It's not, 
let's focus on the things that will help you get off the phone quicker. It's get off the phone quicker. And we don't coach people to the skills and behaviors that lead to it. The other thing I would say is in a call center environment, we have a lot of people that are coming in and out of our organization. And there's a real temptation to think about people as just a number or just as a, the next new person that's on in front of me. And uh, when people don't respond well to feeling like they're just a number, like everyone's an individual and everybody wants to feel important. The most impactful leaders, are those that can see people for people. I was like deeply touched one day when I listened to a monitoring call, when I heard one of our agents on the phone with a single mother huddling in a barricaded room with her child because someone was breaking into the home and we were dispatching uh, services to go assist them. And that agent masterfully was handling that situation, reassuring the customer. And I sat, I sat in my office listening to this clip and I realized that what I did mattered. Somebody in the world has to make ballpoint pens. That's a noble thing to do. It's okay to, someone needs to make pens or to make belts or t-shirts or Someone has to sell magazines because people want to buy magazines, whatever it is. But my life, my life work is protecting that single mom. And that's amazing work. And every one of our agents in one way or another is saving lives. And that is purposeful. And it doesn't always feel like that because the person you're talking to for the 50th time today is trying to solve a camera issue or they're behind on a bill or whatever it is that they're facing. And for you, that's the 50th time you've dealt with that call. For them, it's the first, it may be their first time or maybe their second time having to deal with this issue. Mm -hmm. And later, our product may very well save that person's life. That's meaningful work. What we do makes a huge impact and a meaningful impact in the world. Okay, last question is kind of a more fun one. Sorry, what Kevin. is your guilty pleasure TV show? It's probably not as sensational as The Bachelor. If I were Kevin, I when it comes to TV, I only watch two TV programs that aren't related to sports, um, and and they are both reality shows. And it's Survivor and The Amazing Race. And I always like to wonder, like, what what type of racer would I be? Would I be the one that's like screaming maniacally at the traffic or the taxi cab driver, or would I be the one that figures it out? So. 